The Seahawks' late-season slide continued with a frigid loss to the Chiefs on Saturday. Still, with two winnable games left and a wide-open NFC wildcard picture, the playoffs remain a very tangible possibility. Joining us to discuss that, how the season affects Seattle's contending window, and lots more, is NFL Network's Greg Rosenthal. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my bombastic producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling increasingly confident that uh, you just have like a random word generator every week that you're just <laughs> pulling the trigger and just throwing it down. No, Jackson, I'm doing doing great. I feel that my prediction last week didn't hold up looking a little little funny in the light but that's okay that's okay you're, we move 100 guarantee that the seahawks would beat the best team in the afc on the road yeah exactly uh, always fade mike I mean, yeah, put we'll, the banner up fade mike's picks <laughs> well it was it was another loss this past weekend of course but literally every team that's competing with seattle for one of those final playoff spots lost as well so the path to the postseason remains relatively intact we are, of course, biased towards recent events, and I'm certainly not here to try and convince folks that a one in five stretch is anything but terrible. But this is also a team that went six and three to start the year and at one point won four consecutive games by double digits. And even though that version of this team feels like ancient history, those wins, they still spend, man. They do. And the way that they were winning those games felt sustainable at the time. I think, you know, we went into pretty excruciating detail last week about the woes and the run game, the offensive line failing to hold up against, you know, the, the Niners have a terrifying front seven and pass sure. rush, the chiefs, maybe less so, but it's just, they just haven't held up as the season has continued to move forward. And you just hope that the rookies can make a Jason Tatum like leap. Yeah. A little, little <laughs> foreshadowing to our uh, Celtics loving friend who's joining us today, but I'm glad to be here talking about it with you and hell it's almost the new year, brother. We've got some really exciting developments for the show in 2023, as you know, but the excitement does not stop there because one of the sharpest and funniest guests we've ever had on the show is back to talk some ball with us. He's an analyst for the NFL Network and co-host of the top-rated Around the NFL podcast. He also co-hosts the Jesselnick and Rosenthal Vanity Project, a podcast with comedian Anthony Jesselnick, and he spells his name with three Gs, the third one standing for gorgeous. He is Greg <laughs> Rosenthal. Greg, thank you for your time. I, I wish that was true about the the third G there. It really just shuts the name down, but I do like that Jackson's like such a good looking guy. He can just like pretend other guys are good looking <laughs> at that level. Well, I, I just use a filter. Has AI gone too far? <laughs> you do you do know how to take a nice cigar shot, I must admit. But <laughs> it's not just of, for the photos. I mean you you had the cigar in right before we started. So that, oh yeah, man. Impressive. No, it's it it keeps me going throughout the show. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, listen, man, we've, we've been talking a lot about Seattle losses lately. And frankly, that's because outside of DK Metcalf beasting Jalen Ramsey on the final play to beat the Rams. That's all this team has given us over the last month and a half. In uh, dropping five of the last six games, a bunch of petals have fallen off of the once blooming rose of the 2022 Seahawks. And yet they do find themselves with at least a puncher's chance at a wild card spot. Thanks to their improbably hot start. Now, whether this team makes the playoffs or not remains to be seen, but either way, this season has helped clarify some things as they head into the offseason, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, 
I want to spend some time talking about the loss to the Chiefs. Uh, much like last week against the 49ers, I came into this one hoping for a win, but not expecting one. Uh, upsets happen all the time in the NFL, so I wasn't going to be shocked if the Seahawks jumped up and bit Kansas City. But as someone who covers and is a fan of the Seahawks, this season has been mostly diagnostic for me. And the value of playing great teams late in the season is seeing how far you still have to go before you're competing with the true contenders. As you watch that game, what stood out to you and just how big is the gap between the Seahawks and teams like San Francisco and Kansas City? Diagnostic. Wow. Live a little, Jackson. This team is fun. You've got Geno Smith making the Pro Bowl. Well, Forget that's diagnostic. Let's get to the playoffs. I want some fun. Yeah. Well, well, us too, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that that's all icing. You know, we we hope we get it. But uh, I'm I'm pretty pleased with the cake so far. No, I'm with you. It's funny it's that the NFL often sees teams find their level in the end. And it's one of the things I, I like that even though that so much of the sport is based on luck, how the ball bounces, just like a play here or there wins games. A lot of times these teams kind of end up where they should. Maybe the Seahawks were a little over their skis there during that early no. streak. But they also kind of were unlucky or doing some things better, certainly the passing game early in the season when they weren't winning games. And I think this matchup between the Seahawks and Jets, for instance, is a perfect example of two teams who probably should have gotten here to 7-8. and eight. And if you said at the beginning of the season they'll be 7-8, and eight, I think both fan bases would be like, yeah, good. I, yeah. I was... I feel like one of the most optimistic people about the Seahawks all off season saying, I got a feeling like Pete Carroll is going to end up having one of these seasons that he is loving life and they're going to win eight, eight games, eight or nine games. And now we're, we've gotten there. It's just an annoying way to get there. Both these teams were six and three. And on the chiefs games that you, that you mentioned, it, it didn't make me feel much of anything other than this offense can't get it done without Tyler Lockett. And I'm, yeah. I'm not seeing enough signs that they will get it done without Tyler Lockett. I like that the running game got it going a little bit uh, in the second half of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I think this team needs to be an offense first, good offensive team to, to win these last two games. And, and that's, what's been struggling uh, the, the passing game, you know, kind of being mediocre, the running game hit or miss and the pass protection, not great. So I didn't come out of it with like a ton of optimism, even though I know the defense played a a better game for them. Yeah, certainly. I'm glad you mentioned the Tyler Lockett thing because, you know, uh, we we put so much weight on the performance of a quarterback, but good players need good players, man. And, you know, Tyler Lockett is, he's still a top flight NFL wide receiver. It's it's crazy. He's got a skill set that just ages well. And, when he was gone, it was just they were force feeding DK Metcalf, but they were just camping a safety over the top of him. So outside of that one gorgeous diving deep reception, it was all underneath stuff. And then, I mean, guys like Penny Hart and Marquise Goodwin and Laquan Treadwell, they're just not going to be focused NFL coverage. They, they never had a deep receiver group, which I was always a concern. Like you kind of need three or four receivers in today's <laughs> NFL. They happen to have one of the best one, two punches, uh, but it's just like a cliff after those two guys. It, it is. And they, they took their shot with D Eskridge. It's, it's looking more and more like that's just uh, going to be an absolute zero there. And, and you know, the absence of Tyler Lockett does change things a little bit for me as I view the draft in the upcoming off season, because, you know, Every NFL fan talks about wanting to have three great receivers, but really no team does outside of maybe the Bengals. 
um, you know, you, you hope to get to and then serviceable third guys, whether it's out of the tight end group or whatever. And, and Seattle's tight ends have been pretty decent in that role, but you remove Tyler Lockett and all of a sudden you realize, okay, this guy's in his thirties. Injuries are going to happen. He's, he's so slightly built. All of a sudden I am going from, Hey, just hammer interior offensive line and D line this off season to, we might need to prioritize a receiver. Even, you know, and rookie wide receivers, they just take some time. I mean, even the great ones outside of Jamar Chase, really the great young receivers took a while to get going. That was true of, you know, even Odell Beckham, Justin Jefferson, some of these guys, slow starts in their first half of the year. We've seen that with the rookie receivers this year too, most of them. Um, you know, it's, it, it's true. This offense just looks so much different and so much less potent without Tyler Lockett. Yeah, I'd I'd have to like study it further to see what defenses have done to slow down Geno and in the passing game even even before Lockett. But I feel like Geno's for the most part playing well, making the right decisions, showing the traits that he showed early in the season. They've had a lot of drives like last week that you know you, you have a tip ball on fourth down, you have a lot of trouble getting anywhere on the first two downs, especially early in that game, they were living in third 11 and they kept throwing like, you know, eight or nine yard throws on third and long and being one or two yards short. I think they turned it over on downs three or four times. It doesn't feel like they're that far away. Walker uh, looking healthy last week is huge. Cause yes. I think with these two games coming up with Gino and, and certainly without Lockett, it's like if Geno's protected and they have a running game, then I think they'll be fine and in uh, and, and some semblance of defense. And so you hope that the defense that last week was uh, a turn back to average because they went from, you know, a bottom five defense to a, a capable defense to back to a bottom five defense. Like their DVOA, I think, over this losing streak is – either last or second to last or third mm -hmm. to last in the entire yep. NFL. Yeah. So if, if we zoom out a little bit, you know, it's, it's clear that that gap still exists between Seattle and, and the best teams in the NFL. But if you were to put them on a scale of zero to 10 with the zero being, let's say the Texans and a 10 being teams like the chiefs, bills, Eagles, et cetera, where would you put the Seahawks right now? And how does that compare to the number you would have given them before the season? Hmm. I'd put them like six and let's say I'd give them or, or five and I'd be like one number less before the season. The, the difference is they have this young talent to build around. I thought they were closer to the middle of the pack uh, than I think consensus going into the year because I thought the, the coaching would be good and they still have players. I don't think they're like a bottom three roster, which I saw in certain places in, in the off season. Uh, I think they have to just be so excited about this rookie class, the tackles, the cornerbacks, Walker. It's just a total home run. So I'll, I'll bump it up to six, thinking long term. Sure. Uh, this year, to me, they're just like what their record says. They could either be seven and eight or eight and seven. They're going to end up with either, I think, eight or nine wins. I think they'll win one. I think they'll beat the Rams. And, and then this Jets game really might decide whether we, yeah. we see the playoff game or not. Yeah, you know, I, I would probably put them at a six. I, and I had them coming in as like a three or a four. Uh, they've made more strides than I anticipated. And and look, everything that 
you could hope for to go right from just a, a, a process standpoint, getting the play you're getting out of Geno Smith. Um, I mean, he's still, he's still leading the NFL in completion percentage. Um, and then, you know, getting those offensive and defensive bookends that are rookies is crazy. I mean, you got your two tackles for the foreseeable future. You got your two cornerbacks for the foreseeable future. You got a dynamic running back, all rookies. Six feels right to me, but it feels like six is almost the floor moving forward. It's hard for me to imagine them being worse than this over the next couple of years. Now, things well, they don't do. have a quarterback sign for next year. They don't. They don't. And we are we are going to get to that uh, here here in a little bit because I, I want to get your your thoughts on that. But you know, assuming that quarterback play stays similar, which that's big if. Um, it seems like the rest of the team at least has an upward trajectory. Yeah, I agree. I I think you hit it with the receiver. I do think they need another receiver and or. Uh, tight end you certainly want more depth and difference makers up front uh, getting Jamal Adams assuming he stays on this team back uh, would be nice I have thought yeah. occasionally like oh, it'd be nice if Jamal Adams was here oh um, but time. every team's had, had injuries so it's it, it, I don't think they've been particularly unlucky or anything like that they've been in the middle of the pack in terms of injuries uh, yeah I'm with you maybe I should have gone four to six uh, but I'm I know Seattle fans are like wildly optimistic so they're gonna they're going to transfer from like everything is doom and gloom all we got, now man. To, to now you're a burgeoning team that like the floor is eight or nine wins. And the NFL doesn't quite work like that. It, but it doesn't. With, it doesn't. with Pete Carroll and this rookie class, I think that's a fair. I mean, it's optimistic, but I think that's a fair expectation that you shouldn't expect them to get worse next year with all this young talent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and six as a floor is maybe overstating it, but it felt it felt like the floor coming into the year was like a one or a two. And fair. And totally I think agree. it's probably like maybe a five now. So, which, which is encouraging. And and just to circle back to the Chiefs game, you know, Seattle losing by a couple of touchdowns was not a surprising outcome, but how they lost by two touchdowns kind of was. Their defense, which has been cataclysmic of late, like you said, um, actually looked really good. And their offense, <laughs> which has been the only thing keeping them in games during the slide, was nowhere to be found. And let's start with the offense. Do you place all of that at the feet of Tyler Lockett's absence? No, I put it more on randomness and the weather. I mean, they mm -hmm. they had like 300 yards. I got I'd have to look at it, but I to me I think the total yardage was similar between both teams. Mm -hmm. It was at a normal cool. pace. It was cold as hell, yeah. and they turned it over on downs in the Chiefs territory. What four times? I mean, yeah, they were so, three for six on fourth downs. I did like that they went for it on fourth down six times, knowing that they were playing a superior <laughs> opponent. Right, but like. To me, it was a situational thing. So I, it didn't change how I was looking at how their offense has been playing, which to me has been mediocre, not good enough, kind of middle of the pack or even slightly worse than average. And that's yep. kind of the performance. The hope was going against the Chiefs defense, which has some holes that you would look great. But I tend to think people underrate uh, the weather mm -hmm. when they're talking about these games because I've heard a lot of people talk about certain struggles of in the, you know, there was the bills game and all this different stuff saying like, it doesn't matter. It's like, it's just harder to catch the football. There's more fumbles in all these games. Like I, I think, it, I think it's a factor. I mean, there, there's yeah. a reason points go down in, in weather like that. Yeah. Well, if, if I were a betting man and <laughs> uh, don't tell my wife, I'm a betting man. <laughs> the uh, you know, I, I hammer the unders every week. I'll pick five or six games and just bet the under on all of them. 
I bet the under on all 16 games this week because it's been of the a weather. good season for unders, hasn't it, it? It's been a really good two year run. For those for those of you fellow gambling degenerates, the under has hit 62% of the time the last two weeks. And it's because people don't like rooting for the under. They want to see points. So you want to make some money, just bet unders. I but, bet the Chiefs won too. I am not allowed to uh, be a gambling man because I, I work for the NFL. Although I do host, co-host a show called Game Debut, which is essentially a gambling show <laughs> on NFL Network. So Yeah, you get to, to you get to give the advice with no skin in the game. That's nice. Yeah, that's fine. Well, Seattle gets the Jets next. Uh, like you mentioned, a team with an identical 7-8 record. A loss would snuff out any postseason hopes for either team. It would guarantee a losing record for them as well. But the winner moves back to 500, and in Seattle's case, gives them a very real chance of sneaking into the playoffs with a win over the Rams in the finale. Uh, for those listening that may not be intimately familiar with the Jets, what can you tell us about that team and how the Seahawks match up with them? Well, they get Mike White back this week, which is massive Bummer. because... I think Mike White showed something more than anyone expected in his, you know, three appearances, which was real arm strength and willingness to make tough throws if he's protected. I think the Jets offensive line has been bad and been slowly getting worse over the last month. And it's a huge part of the reason they've been on a very similar slide, really an identical slide as Seattle. They were six and three and now they're seven and eight. So identical. Uh, so I think if he has time and Seattle is a pass rush where you feel like, ooh, we could actually win this matchup or it's a draw up front against their defensive line, then their playmakers on the outside are deep and really good. I'm not sure if Corey Davis is playing in this game, but Elijah Moore has been better when Mike White's been out there. He's a he's a good player. Garrett Wilson is a really good player. Yeah. Um, they their scheme is you know similar uh, to all the Shanahan type schemes and has had really good running performances, but that's fallen off a cliff lately. So offensively, I think they're a better, they should be a better team this week that certainly than they've been the last uh, few with you Zach think Wilson. And I think it's a points? tough matchup to me. These offenses are pretty equal. I would give the Seahawks a, maybe a slight edge with Lockett, but uh, the defenses are not equal. The Jets defense is definitely better. Yeah. Let's talk about that. They've got a very good defense. They've got, uh, very accomplished, young, defensive-minded head coach when it comes to that side of the ball. So my question to you is this. How many points does Seattle need to score for you to feel confident that they would win the game? Mm. Confident? Like 26 or something? Okay, so they got to <laughs> score four times. I think it'll be more of an offensive game. It, you know, as I don't think the weather is going to be anything crazy there. I, I, I admittedly picked the Jets, but I've been wrong thinking the Jets are a little better than than they have been uh, for much of the season. And I've picked the Seahawks a ton this season uh, in, in road that. But to me, the Jets, like when you look at the underlying numbers, it is a really good defense. It's mm -hmm. going to be hard to protect uh, Geno Smith. Uh, you have Sauce Gardner who can match up with DK Metcalf. Uh, you, it's just like good at all three levels. CJ Mosley's had a good year. And so they're going to just present uh, a lot of problems, but both of these teams just haven't won in a while. I don't think they really know how to win important games late. They've, they've kind of found ways to lose lately. So I think that's a good thing for Seattle. It's not like the jets are coming in with like a ton of confidence and, and know how to win these sort of late season games. They're similar they, to the Seahawks. They feel dysfunctional right now. Yeah. And in the New York market, that 
that's a tough weight to carry week to week. So I, I do think there is some additional pressure on them, uh, you know, that Seattle is maybe not facing. You mentioned Sauce Gardner, of course. We're huge Tariq Woolen fans around here. This is, I think, the thing I'm most excited to see is to watch these two corners in this game. Do you anticipate Gardner following Metcalf around the field? And does that prediction change whether or not Tyler Lockett is healthy and playing? I don't think he's done much of that. I, I, so I don't, I think Mm -hmm. if you, if you move DK around certainly to the slot, but, um, DJ Reed's played so well, your former Seahawk. I love that free agent sign at the time. I was right about that. Yeah. We did not like that one. We did not like that one. We, (laughs) we were hoping he'd stick around. And he's been really good. I would say he's been a perfect sort of second corner. And considering he's going up, he's across from a guy who's you know, going to make the Pro Bowl All Pro uh, as a rookie. They ha- he hasn't been picked on at all. But I don't think they've really been doing that with Sauce. They pretty much play sides like like the old 49ers used to. Yep. yep. So this also marks something of a revenge game for Geno Smith, albeit a decade later. Geno was, as you know, a pretty highly touted quarterback prospect coming off an illustrious collegiate career. But he stumbled through his first two seasons after being drafted by the Jets and then just sort of disappeared from the NFL's collective consciousness for 10 years. Now he's back. He's mostly killing it. And he's trying to earn one of the more improbable contracts in recent memory. So my question is, taking the entirety of Geno's 2022 season so far into account, as well as the perception of him over the last number of years, the shifting quarterback landscape, what sort of contract do you anticipate Smith receiving? And do you think it will be with Seattle? I do think it'll be with Seattle. I think these last two and maybe more games uh, will have a huge impact on the contract because people just remember how things ended. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely taken a step back from where the season started because, you know, he's playing like an like a top three quarterback for yeah. a month and a half. Yeah. Now he's played like more like a mid-level quarterback since then, like like a league average quarterback, which to me still has a ton of value. And those first five weeks still count. So if you add that all up, like he deserved to make the Pro Bowl. He's been a borderline top 10 quarterback. I, I see a lot of similarities between him and Ryan Tannehill in, in some ways. Their strengths are a little different, but I kind of put them in a similar level. And I think then he should get a contract commiserate with that, which is over $20 million a year, not in the not in like the 30 plus range, but above like what Jameis Winston got as a bridge quarterback. The thing that could get in his way is the quarterback market is actually very deep. I just did our yeah. a first pass at the top 51 free agents and it's Gino. It's Lamar is going to get the tag. So he doesn't really count, but it's Tom Brady should be available. Daniel Jones uh, could or should be available. And then there's a whole bunch of other guys like Mike White, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Teddy Bridgewater, just guys that like teams could convince themselves aren't that much below Gino, even though I mm-hmm. think Gino would be at a level higher. And by the way, this Goff is could absolutely be out there a revenge game. Like we can move on to the Gino picture, but are you kidding me? This is the revengiest of revenge is games. This Jack. Is He's it, gone man. two for two in revenge games so far this year. He's going to hit all three. <laughs> it, it would almost be more. I mean, I'm glad the game's in Seattle. It would almost be more delicious if it was in New York. Rex Ryan brought out IK and Impale as a team captain. I know. When he was the coach in Buffalo, when he went against the Jets, then was, he went on air awesome. talking <laughs> – trash about how Gino, you know, helped end his career. Go look yeah. back. Gino yeah. saved his career. They were going to fire Rex Ryan. And you mentioned like Gino kind of stumbled in the first couple years of his career. 
I would push back on that. I okay. I would say he was closer to he was better than average for a first and second year quarterback, like period. And he had a couple stretches in there and he certainly showed some of the skills I think you see now in terms of being able to read coverage and like make good decisions, which translates into a long career. I think that's why he's been around. And he got buried in that market because of the punch, because of Rex, because certainly they weren't winning a lot of games. But he also saved Rex Ryan's job, winning three out of four, like to go eight and eight. And like he was always, to me, profiling as a league average type of quarterback, which is hard to do in the first second year. You know what I mean? And they they acted like he was a chump. Meanwhile, they're like making excuses for Sam Darnold for five years, and he stunk the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, totally. You know, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I think one of the biggest disconnects between reality and fan perception is the value of a league average quarterback. You know, we we don't like it. We we feel almost like that's a failure if you have a league average quarterback, but... (laughs) There's only 12 to 16 of those in the, on the planet at any given time. Look at Kirk. I mean, Kirk Cousins I'm and Tannehill guy. are in that yep. slot just above league average. And I, I think I think that's where Geno can and, and should be. I don't know if the rest of the NFL is going to agree with me, but I put him in my top, I think, five overall. You know, free agents. It's hard. You get a you get a yeah. huge premium as a quarterback, and it's actually not that good of a class at the very top. There's plenty of good players, but there's only a few elite players. And to me, I think Gino's going to get a good contract. I tend to think it'll be from the Seahawks. They'll have to make that decision though, well before the draft. Would you rather have Gino Smith or Jared Goff? Gino. Gino Smith or Jimmy Garoppolo? Gino. Geno Smith or any of those other free agent quarterbacks outside of Lamar that I, you mentioned. I forgot to mention Jimmy Garoppolo is the other guy in my top 50 that I didn't yeah. even say. Um, I'd rather have Geno because I, I think he's better at the hard stuff uh, compared to those guys. I think he's similar in that he's not going to like lift a team that has a lot of other struggles. Um, but I, I think in terms of going through his progressions and like making tough throws and mentally, I think he's better than a Jimmy Garoppolo, similar to a a Ryan Tannehill, maybe not Mm -hmm. quite as physically talented, but like a little younger. Um, And to me, he hasn't played. And I think that's actually a positive on some level that like, I think there could be upside of him playing more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have the mileage of most 11, 12 year veterans, you know, and, and, we had uh, Griffin Sturgeon on recently, and, and he was talking about still viewing Geno Smith as a prospect, as a guy with three years of NFL experience, instead of just saying, "Oh, he's only done this much in in ten years," you know. And and I I do think there's value in that. Uh, real quick, because uh, Mike, I know uh, you're going to jump in here, but uh, Greg, if you could just run it back for the folks that maybe aren't familiar or don't remember the whole fallout with the punch and everything that happened in oh, New yeah. York when Geno was there. Well, IKN and Polly um, was a, a teammate of Geno Smith who clocked him in the face uh, and ended Geno Smith's season before it started in 2015. He was going to be the week one starting quarterback. I think, was it for the first time? I'm not sure if he was the week one starter the year before uh, because he was upset apparently that Geno Smith didn't like <laughs> pay him back for some like wedding trip that Gino was supposed to go on that he didn't go. On. I don't even remember the details, but it yeah, was yeah. ridiculous. It was about and, money. Yeah, it was money. It wasn't even that much money. And the guy mm-hmm. thought Gino was being cheap. And uh, the, the messed up thing about it was just how like everyone acted like 
this was somehow Gino's fault because right. there was some borderline like racist coverage of Gino throughout his time by the New York Post. And they just sort of had him as an enemy. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick swoops in and leads him to like a winning record that season. And it right. just sort of furthered like buried Gino as this weird villain, which made made no sense. Sense. Yeah, I mean, if if that was the year they had Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, and they both put up big numbers with with uh, Fitzpatrick, and I I just can't help but think that the story surrounding Geno is different if he was the starting quarterback that year. Right, and I think look, he was a he was a young kid who fell in the draft, thought he was going to be a top five pick. I, I'm sure he would say he's more, more mature now than, and I think I think the New York media, especially like had fun and liked to pick on what they thought was like overconfidence or like a lack of maturity. But it's like, yeah, he's a, he's a second year quarterback uh, who was going through a lot of adversity and, and yeah. playing pretty well. Yeah. So circling back to contract predictions, um, ESPN came out with an article this morning, kind of predicting some of the uh, contracts Ooh. that some quarterbacks were coming out with. And Dan Graziano uh, had a very specific prediction for Geno Smith's uh, next contract. Mike, you have that? Yeah, it was based off of the franchise tag numbers for the upcoming season. Uh, Dan estimated something in the three-year, eighty to ninety million dollar range, with forty to forty-five guaranteed. Seems about what I said. Seems about what I said. I said twenty to twenty-five million, and so I would look at that as like a two-year, forty-five million dollar contract. That that sounds about right. The cap's going up. To me, that's good value. Here's how I would explain that: Tannehill next year is under contract. Shoot, now I forget what it is. I forget if it was 28 or 32. Like, mm-hmm. that's a good contract. They, they've already paid the bonuses. Like, I'm happy to pay Ryan Tannehill that much money. The cap has gone up so much that that is a much smaller percentage of the cap. He's an above average starter. Like, it's not a future commitment. And so, it, it, as long as you're not like, I don't think you need to sign Gino to like a four year guaranteed money contract. As long mm-hmm. as it's like a two year sort of in between, it keeps you flexible. I think that's good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think 80 to 85 million in terms of, you know, over a three year deal. Now, granted, I mean, money is so fungible with NFL contracts and, and being able to move guaranteed and, and signing bonuses around and stuff. But uh, yeah, that, you know, the Graziano prediction is kind of, and, and right where you're at, uh, I think, you know, you've got maybe three to $5 million less per, per year. That shouldn't make a difference, but it feels like a difference. I think either way. Yeah, but I, not, if he's saying guaranteed, like that third year is kind of like, we'll see, you know? Yeah, so it's totally. really, if the guaranteed is 45 and it's two for 45-ish guaranteed, that, yeah, that that's, feels good. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It, it does. Now, with that in mind, the Denver Broncos are the genie with unlimited wishes, and they delivered <laughs> a tremendous Christmas present to the Seahawks in the form of an ass-whooping at the hands of Baker Mayfield and the Rams. That loss not only spelled the end of Nathaniel Hackett's illustrious tenure as the Broncos head coach, it all but locks the Seahawks into a top three pick, barring an upset win over either the Chiefs or Chargers by the Broncos down the stretch. Let's Mm. assume, for the sake of the discussion, that Seattle does fall somewhere in the top three. I know you haven't gotten to the point of your process where you're diving into the rookies yet, so I'll ask this question in more general terms. How good does a prospect have to be at quarterback for you to rather have them on a rookie contract than Geno on the type of deal we were just talking about? Mm, that's a good way to ask it. I think I want the top three quarterback and I love Gino, but I just don't plan to be that high in the draft ever in these two quarterbacks. I know enough to know just like that. They're either going to go one, two, or they're going to be top 
five picks. And so if if you love those guys, um, I want the rookie quarterback. It's just tricky because you uh, have to make the decision about Geno before that. And I don't think having both is crazy. It, it, there is a right. possible way to thread that needle. I also don't think the Broncos are a lock to lose that week 18 game. Chargers might. Charge my starters there. So that's plus, plus, else. you never know when you're going to get that Jeff Saturday bump with the interim head coach. It's like I, I swear, interim head coaches have like a 80 percent winning percentage. I hear you, game. but they're in Kansas City this weekend. But I, I do hear you, and they challenged Kansas City last time, but they are in Kansas City this weekend. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. And Kansas City still has lots to play for, uh, competing with the Bengals and the Bills for that number one seed. So yeah, I'm I'm really hoping. I I do think Week 18 though could could shift some things, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but kind of need the Cardinals to win one more game. Right. I look at the quarterbacks in general and think they'll go one, two when they're good and they're supposed to be that level. So uh, is Seattle going to get into the top two? Are they going to be a team that trades up? Would, would Pete Carroll in his heart of hearts actually love to have Gino at that contract and then take the best uh, available player, Jalen Carter or whoever it is at number three. To me, that's what Pete Carroll would like to do. <laughs> yeah. Take the yeah, pass rusher and, and keep Gino. And I, and I've been pro Carter or pro Will Anderson, generally speaking, but uh, you know, the, the flip side of the Geno Smith conversation, you know, these, these contracts are not given out in a vacuum. There's opportunity cost and, you know, do, do you want to potentially sit on two years of that valuable rookie contract? have him sit behind a Geno Smith, you know, there, there, there is a price to pay with that. Also, it means not I'd getting... want the rookie. I don't get it twisted. I love Geno. And I think it's just so hard to get those, that, that type of quarterback that you can have for 10 years. Well, and, and Seattle, I mean, barring disaster, which, which happens look no further than the Broncos and the Rams, but barring disaster in the next couple of years, it's really hard to anticipate Seattle really ever picking this high again, as long as Pete Carroll and John Schneider are around. I mean, the, the problem is, you know, you could end up with Zach Wilson or even yep. trade up for Trey Lance, all those picks. We'll see what happens with Lance, but that's, it's certainly no guaranteed, which is kind of why I was like, you, there is not nothing saying you can't try to thread the needle and have both, even though I know people just like wouldn't accept that. Maybe it's, you have Gino in a second round pick. I'm, I'm of the mind of keep taking quarterbacks. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of 50, 50. I'm on, I, you know, I'm, I'm honestly probably closer to 60, 40 in terms of keeping Gino and then using that really high pick on a difference maker on defense. Because when I look at this team and I see what is keeping them out of contendership, it's not quarterback play this year. It's defense uh, specifically on the defensive mm -hmm. line. You get a chance to go blue chip. It's just, it's so tough. It's so tough to turn that down. There's a lot less pressure on that pick as well. Um, you know, they're just not going to – a defensive tackle is not going to have the same scrutiny as a quarterback. So uh, a lot to consider there. And, you know, I, I mean, we could talk we could talk quarterback for the next hour, but uh, since we're fortunate enough to have you here, I do want to zoom out a bit and dip the bucket into your well of greater NFL knowledge. Uh, I've got a few questions about the way things are shaping up around the league. Love to get your thoughts on them. We just mentioned the Broncos. And I can't think of a single team that's had a more disillusioned season than they have. And I mean that in my entire life as a fan. After Hackett was canned, you tweeted out that Denver should strongly consider just cutting Russell Wilson outright and eating the sunk cost. On the surface, that seems so wild. But the more I've chewed on it, the less crazy it seems. Tell us more about that. <laughs> I, I'm 
amazed I'm I'm breaking this out, you know, first on cigar thoughts, you know, before we haven't even talked about it yet on around the NFL. The dead cap is crazy and everyone sent me the money and I asked our research department to confirm all the numbers and and they're actually a little different than they've been publicly because of how weird his contract would be, but it's something in the mid 40s this year and then mid I think 60s next year in terms of dead cap. And so that's outrageous. But you have to compare those numbers to me to the money that you are going to be paying him to be on your roster. So, yes, that's a lot of money just to get rid of him. Uh, but how much is it more than it would be to keep him? Because that difference to me is, is the importance. Is it worth it to get rid of Russell Wilson now Um to spend, and I wish I had the numbers in front of me now, but I think it'd be like 20 million more this year and 30 something million more next year just to get rid of him. Crazy. Crazy. I would say it is. And, and here's why. So he's why. cooked in your mind. He, right. He's cooked. He's cooked. I thought he was kind of cooked last year. I got in trouble on my our podcast midway through last year. I was like, I would rather have Mac Jones long term than Russell Wilson. Now, neither of those look good, but I'd still not a ho- not 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 a homer pick at all. My no, but I was saying my point was I would rather have a I'd rather have Geno Smith than Russell Wilson. Now, I hadn't seen Geno at that level. My point was like I'd rather have Tan. I'd rather have like a mid level starter, and I was seeing Mac Jones as like a long term. Last year, that's what starter. he looked like. Yep. You know, and and I think that's borne out. So. Okay, this money, it, it's insane to, to have to push him off. But he's guaranteed more money, Jackson, on this contract in the first five days uh, of next year, of, of the 2024 season, rather, if he's still on the roster of March of 2024. So if you're keeping him for one more year, you're almost certainly keeping him for two more years unless you choose to cut them then. And so the Broncos are thinking, well, let's just keep them one more year and then we'll probably have to cut them before guaranteeing even more money. And to that, I would say, why waste that year? A year is a long time. You're going to have a brand new coach. The most likely outcome here is he's not going to be good and you're going to end up cutting him in 2024 instead of 2023. And yes, the dead cap is not going to hurt you, quite as much there but it's going to extend out another year it's going to hurt you in 25 and the total amount of like this dead cap money you end up spending over those three years will end up being slightly less than it would be if you just eat it now except you're just extending that pain out for like another year and to me you're you're just wasting your time and i actually don't think it is guaranteeing that you can't play football competitively next year or the year after that. And I think the Seahawks are a great example why it's tough to do, but they have a quarterback at $1 million and they're playing competitive football. Yeah. So you're as high on Brett Rippon as we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need, we need Russ starting down the stretch to keep that, keep that pick high for Seattle. So, all right. So following up on that, you see what I mean? Like, do you I, no, I, see I the absolutely logic here. Yes. No, okay. no question. I mean, Holy cow. What, what a lump to swallow as a franchise and, and you know, the, me- and it's the same GM and owner who gave him the contract. So I kind of understand why I, I don't think this is going to happen to be clear, but it's what I think should happen. So to follow up on that, there's a coaching vacancy there. That roster is awesome outside of quarterback. I mean, they've got a tremendous, even now their their offensive line, so many other teams 
has been obliterated this season. I mean, offensive line injuries are just out of control and, and it's hit Denver as hard as anybody. If you're a head coaching candidate and you're considering the Denver job, is it more or less attractive if they have Russell Wilson? Oh, I think it's less. Okay. That's about it. Even though, even though they don't really have an avenue to a top quarterback prospect, um, they're going to be eating so much money. I got to think that makes it tough to go sign one of the top free agents. Right now, they hold Miami's 26th overall pick in the first round. Uh, do you just eat a season, suck another year, and then get get your uh, people keep saying that next year? Okay, people keep saying that, and sure, but I'd rather have Jimmy Garoppolo than Russell Wilson, or maybe Daniel Jones costs too much. Like they had Teddy Bridgewater a year ago. I think we can look pretty clearly how he played versus how Russell Wilson played with similar talent around him, maybe a worse offensive line. I'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater. So I'm just saying, like, I think you could actually make, get better quarterback play potentially and and just move on. I, think, I know this sounds harsh on Russell Wilson, but no, I don't no. think there's a great reason to think that he's better than whatever quarterback you could sign in free agency. And I think there is a huge benefit psychically to moving on too. Well, and, and you know, w- one of the – huge marks in Russell's favor for the first eight, nine years of his career was the leadership qualities, right? Like he, I, he felt like the perfect face of the franchise uh, for so long. Those vibes have been obliterated. They are, they are gone. I mean, he's the biggest contract in that locker room. He's the most famous person in that locker room. He has welcomed all of that attention and in a lot of ways has sort of socially separated himself from from the team he's got his own office you know marshawn lynch was talking about how you got to go through his people to get to him even as a teammate all (laughs) that all that stuff i mean you you are kind of clearing the deck from a vibes perspective if you move on from russ as well right and it puts a coach in a really weird spot uh in terms of these interviews i always think one of the dumbest things i hear at this time of year is like oh which coach would want this job or like oh this you know coaches want jobs it's life-changing money <laughs> they aren't guaranteed to ever get these jobs they're not guaranteed to make that sort of money ever again in their lives they're like players like they're everyone will want this job basically but i i am curious like if maybe sean payton wouldn't like i'm just curious though like do they have to say that their vision is to save russell wilson it yes. seemed like right. it from their press conference mm-hmm. uh, watching the press conference I was just curious, like, can any coach come in and come up with this plan that I have that's like, actually, I want to move on from Russell Wilson. Does that, you know, eliminate you from consideration? I don't know. Because I think some coaches would certainly want that. I couldn't, I think maybe other coaches would disagree, but I think plenty would want to do just like, let's, let's move on. Who's the best coach they could hire? Man. And let's assume they're not going to trade their first rounder for Sean Payton. I hate the, uh. Just go in like with the hot name, but man, I do love me some Ben Johnson in Detroit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like I like offensive coaches in general. Um, <laughs> this is all the coaches. Yeah. I can fix him. Yeah, I can do it. Savior right, dating, it, right? <laughs> like maybe Hackett was like a truly bad head coach, but schematically, I don't. It just doesn't feel like like he's from that tree. Is is someone going to come in and really do everything different? We've seen Russell 
Wilson with a million different coordinators. We kind of know what he does well, what he doesn't do well. It's more about like finding a guy who's can actually do all the other things, hiring a staff, you know, being um, someone players want to play for, be organized, be disciplined, all that. Not sort of not stuff. playing I'm, for a 64 yard field goal at the end of the game. <laughs> right. I'm curious if David Shaw is going to get some love from Stanford, sure. like with these, and, sure. and we'll see. You know, I, what I'm rooting for personally, and I think I would be excited for if I was a Broncos fan, uh, but as a Seahawks fan, I'm hoping D'Amico Ryans gets the hell yeah. out of this division. And I think he could have a lot of fun with that defense. Zero Evero did a good job as their coordinator, and they, and they say he's going to get interviewed mm-hmm. for that job. Didn't he uh, Didn't he get offered the interim job and he turned it down? He did. He, he said, and he's probably right, that he thinks that would have just hurt the defense. It wouldn't help their team over the last two weeks. He probably also knows it's a losing uh, battle. But he said, I think he is going to interview for the head coaching job. Okay, okay. That's enough Broncos talk for today. <laughs> Next, I want to handicap the two conferences. For the sake of this exercise, you get to pick three teams to come out of each conference, and you got to rank them. In this hypothetical, if your first pick makes it to the Super Bowl, you get a million dollars. If your second team makes it, you get 100000 If your third team makes it, nothing about your life changes. And if none of them make it, a donkey gets to kick you in the nuts. Who are okay. you taking, and which team outside of the top three scares you the most? Okay. Uh, AFC or NFC? Start wherever. Okay. Well, this is tricky. Um, I'm going to start with the NFC because since I know the seating better, I feel better uh, about the whole donkey experience. And so then I'm going Eagles first because I think they're going to have two home games and I think they're the best team. Uh, the, the injury situation with Blaine Johnson and Jalen Hurts are concerning, uh, sure. but it sounds like they'll, they'll probably have them. So I'm going to go Eagles first, 49ers uh, second, and Cowboys third even though they'll be playing on the road. And I'd feel good about that. Really, none of the other NFC teams worry me that much, uh, but I would just throw the Vikings as the team just because their season is so improbable. And the good players and the good things they do are good. So I don't know. If the, if they could make it this far to 12-3, and three, I guess they could get me kicked in the nuts or whatever. The, you know, the, the Vikings have been such a popular, you know, the popular take is, is how fraudulent they are. And, you know, they've got a couple of really gross losses and I think 11, one score wins. I think they're the only team ever to go 11, no, and one score games. Um, yeah. You know, the thing that they do though, and yes, I mean, they're making a 61 yard field goal to win a game. They've biggest comeback in NFL history. The, the week before that, these are, like you said, improbable outcomes but they do something on offense that is so simple and every coach should do it. They just give the ball to their best players. They do not <laughs> fuck around. They just throw it to Justin Jefferson 15 times. They throw it to TJ Hawkinson 12 times and they give Dalvin cook a bunch of touches. Like, you know, they, like Kirk cousins, they're really is good, good players. Enough. Yeah. They're, they're really, really good players. You know, they're, they're all at or near the top of their position groups NFL wide and Kirk cousins is good enough to capitalize on that. Right. They they probably are the fourth or fifth best team, but they might only need to uh, win one road game if they're the two seed. So I would take, I think the 49ers are better overall, certainly. And I think the Cowboys are too. Uh, But, but you could certainly see in a, in one game, the, the Vikings, 
beating one of those teams and then you're like one team one game away from the Super Bowl like they they also could luck out right now they're matched up against the Giants in the first round like the first round of the NFC playoffs might not be great the Seahawks are a team I think good teams would want to play for a playoff opponent for instance if they sneak in like it that first round's not going to be great yeah okay so uh, let's back off a little bit and talk about the three uh, four teams that are competing for the last two spots in in the NFC if you are, say, the 49ers, uh, who who are you hoping to face the most out of the Seahawks, Commanders, Giants, and Lions? Good question. I think I'd most want to face the Giants, and they're the most likely to get in. They, they got this far by winning close one-score games early against bad teams. They really are well-coached schematically. I think there are a lot to deal with, but just talent-wise – they don't their strengths to me aren't that strong and washington with chase young back and kind of a creative running game like to me the seattle at their peak their strengths are stronger same thing with the lions as as kind of a complete team uh whereas the giants you just have a huge talent mismatch everywhere (laughs) everywhere (laughs) just about they might get a dory jackson back uh and ojalari their pass rush is heating up a little bit so i guess their defensive line is good that that's a spot if you have a bad o-line maybe that that but everywhere else yeah safe to say a lot of the credit for their season goes to brian dabble and wink martindale yeah 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 i think they've maxed out i mean i in the seahawks are showing i think the tx are a good example of this to this year too is like there's not a huge difference a lot of times between like a four or five win team and a nine 10 win team and the giants are like one of those teams we we say that all the time on this show i mean 80 90 percent of the teams are going to finish between five and nine wins it it feels like you know or or at least that's their most likely range of outcomes so and the giants are that team and all these other teams are too to be clear but i think the lions best game is the best out of all those teams packers maybe even included and you could throw them in this mix maybe the packers are the team that you'd be the most afraid of uh just because they have like i said talent and then i think to me talent in a one game situation it's important yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely all right let's let's head to the other side of the docket here with the afc who's your million dollar team who's your hundred thousand dollar team your neutral team and your donkey team well i hate i hate this because the the top three teams are so established and so even and i don't know who's going to have the one seed my gut is telling me even though the probability isn't quite there that the chiefs are the best bet for the for my one pick here and the one seed in the afc they would need the bills to lose this weekend uh against cincinnati or, or week 18 versus the patriots but that's probably i mean that's happen. the perfect that's the perfect matchup for the chiefs the fact that the bills and the Bengals are playing each other and one of those it's going to be such a huge advantage for whoever the one seed is because basically instead of having to go through two of these teams, you only have to go through one. And yeah, the Ravens, if Lamar's back, could be dangerous. And Jaguars or Chargers have been playing better. But that is a huge advantage to have two home games and only play one of those teams once. So I'm going to go Chiefs as my team because they're the only one with Patrick Mahomes. I always feel better sleeping at the end of the day. I guess I'd go Bills second and Bengals third. But I hate that because, like, I picked the Bengals to win this week, for instance, in in my picks column. So... These three teams are coin flips to me. And because I think the Chiefs might get that one seed, I'm going to go with them as the one. And then, yeah, the Ravens for sure would be the donkey kick. I okay. think the Ravens are better than people 
are giving them credit for, even though the offense has struggled for a while. Better than the newly healthy Chargers? Yes. Like, the Ravens are seventh in DVOA this year, and there's a pretty big drop-off after that. And that passes my eye test, because my eye test says, I think I'd take them over all the other AFC defenses. And Lamar, Lamar, the running game has gotten going. You've Like, they're healthier. J.K. Dobbins, Ronnie Stanley, these are good players. I know it hasn't all come together, but again, coming back to talent, I think their defense might be the best in the AFC. And I know they're short on the outside, but their offensive line, Stanley, Lamar, Dobbins, like that is talent. Good coaching. Like, I think they're dangerous. You know, it it doesn't get talked about hardly ever, but maybe the most consistent thread between all the Super Bowl teams in recent memory has been great wide receivers. Mm. Can the Ravens win games with zero wide receivers? Yeah, like, probably I mean, not. That's why they're fourth. And <laughs> yeah. See that that's that's what gives the Chargers the edge to me on on that. I mean, you know, Herbert shuffled through the season mostly really low a dot, uh, just not having the wow moments that we're used to. But man, that offense is so so different with a healthy Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams. They they would probably be my donkey team. You know, the okay. the top the top the top three are are certainly the same. I. I'm sad to see the Dolphins wilt down the road. I think they are such an exciting team. They're so easy to like. Um, man, Tua, Tua seems fragile both on the field. Performance-wise, things aren't going great. And then, you know, also, he's, what, whatever the number of actual concussions that are reported he has is probably less than, than the real number. And and that, that worries me with them, which is too bad because I, I think they're as exciting as any team. So I think Teddy won't be a huge drop off. I know I'm the biggest Teddy fan out there. Like sure. him and Gino have been the guys I've been flying the flag for for a while. Gino's come through. I don't think Teddy has the upside that Gino does, uh, but in that offense, I think he'll be fine. Look, if you like the Dolphins so much, help them out this week. Beat the Jets. I think the Dolphins can win okay, that game in Foxborough with the uh, <laughs> with the uh, Teddy, and then the Dolphins are in. And and you're right, they are fun. And I liked your Chargers argument. You might have. You might have swayed me the way they're playing and coaching up defense too. Their defense it's not been... it's not like there's a talent disparity at quarterback. Herbert and Lamar. Yes. Okay, like you you have a great quarterback and you're right the rest of the team you, you might be right. Okay. So taking it one step further, who's your Super Bowl winner? Why well, had Eagles over Chiefs to start the year and it is so rare to get something right back in August. So I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah. Eagles <laughs> Eagles are my pick too. And and you know just a Focus back on the AFC real quick. How much? This is the wildest thing to me. Maybe maybe it shouldn't be this wild to me, but how much stock do you put into the fact that the Bengals have beat the Chiefs three times in the last year? Like if, I, they, if they face each other in Kansas City, are you taking the Chiefs with a lot of confidence? Certainly not with a lot of confidence. I mean, no. I put some stock. It, it's more just what that shows me about the Bengals. It's not that I needed it, but that they are right there on the same level talent-wise. The coaching has proven now, especially on defense, but overall to be good enough. Like that, I don't think it's some crazy disadvantage against the Chiefs and Bills. They haven't, you know, been in as many big games, but they were in the freaking Super Bowl last year. <laughs> they were a play away, man. They 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 were Aaron Donald beating a double team away from winning that Super Bowl. It's why it's funny because all year people were like, "Oh, the 
NFL so mediocre. There's no great teams, this or that. And I'm and I've kind of thought like, well, the AFC does have Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Joe Burrow leading the exact three teams that were the best at the end of last year. And they all have a lot of young talent and they're all right back with really good records. So is it really not that top heavy? Those are pretty, those are pretty good teams. I think there are six elite teams in the NFL right now. I might go four and not put the 49ers and Cowboys, assuming that's who you're doing yeah. in that yeah, mix yeah. totally. Um, but either way, it's not going to be easy for the Eagles uh, either way. Yeah, you know, uh, before the season, I had Bills over Eagles, and I, I think that is holding up. Look at you. But, but Look at us I, looking so smart. I know. I know, man. We only, we only talk about the stuff I get right on this show. The If I had to make that bet right now, though, and just let go, you know, not get take lock on that, I'm probably Chiefs over Eagles. It just comes down to Patrick Mahomes for hmm. Yeah, the thing with the Bills, and I think shouldn't be forgotten, is, man, they've been a lot of big games. This is a great group that's been together. I wish they had Von Miller and Micah Hyde, and then mm-hmm. they would, to me, be the favorite. But there is something to, I think, their combination of youth and experience that makes me think they might have another gear to go like they did a year ago uh, in these playoff sure. games. Well, to your point, okay, so if – if this was Madden and we could turn off injuries as a setting, everybody's full strength. Bill's best team in the NFL? Because I think so. Yeah. I think that's enough to sway it. I mean, it's really trying to think of who else is, is out for them. It's just, look, that's two of their three most valuable defensive players, I would say. And it's yeah. just, it's unfortunate. Okay. Before we go, I got one last one for you. Last season, you came on the show. We played a little game where Mike listed the names of every other head coach in the NFL. And we each said whether we'd rather have them or Pete Carroll. You remember this, yeah? Yeah. I don't remember. Did I slight Pete Carroll too much? Well, no. If I remember correctly, Pete ended up somewhere between around 15 or 16 for you. And that's I remember that surprised you a little bit. You kind of went into that exercise. And and the vibes were awful at, at the time in Seattle when we were doing this. And, uh, and he slipped into your top half of the coaches. I had him 13 or 14. We won't go through every name again, but given how this season has played out in the aftermath of the Russell Wilson trade, the loss of Bobby Wagner, everything else, if you were to do it again, do you think Carroll would finish higher, lower, or about the same in your head coaching ranks as he did last time? Oh, higher, higher. It's yeah. been a great year for Pete Carroll. Yeah. I mean, I also was coming into the year saying I think they'll be better than people think because of Pete Carroll, win eight, nine games. He's good at, he's good at that. He's got clear strengths and – yeah, he doesn't have that anchor weighing him down anymore. No, to, which is which is just so crazy. I'm kidding because I don't think it's I, people have gone too far, like trying to reevaluate how yes. bad Russell Wilson was. It's like no, he was a total major asset uh, for them until like last year, maybe the last two years. Yep, yep. No, I I I totally agree. You know, I think this is probably true of just about every NFL fan, but. My frustrations with Pete Carroll are limited to a few moments every Sunday. The Monday through Saturday stuff, the offseason stuff. He He's an elite program builder, and that's the kind of thing that we typically associate with college coaches. He was elite at that in college. Uh, he took a collegiate approach to building teams and motivating teams in the NFL. He was laughed at coming in for that approach, kind of being that cheerleader, that recruiter, all of that stuff. It, it has worked. It has worked, and I think – I think it's easy to get caught up 
in Sundays because that's ultimately what determines your record. It's what determines your fortunes. But Sunday is a reflection of Monday through Saturday most of the time. And, and I think Pete is just so good at that stuff. Well said. I think he needed a little bit of a refresh to mm-hmm. a new challenge. I think that that happens with coaches and I think he got it. And I think he's, he's doing well. I still would hit the same point I've hit on Carol for like six years, which would be, you know, at some point I want a defense. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's been, been a, a pretty average defense for a while. So That's generous. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, listen, man, this has been awesome. It's the holiday season. We're reaching the crescendo of the NFL regular season, and you've got a ton of irons in the fire. So please know how much we appreciate you taking the time to come in today. Thanks. Only do it because, you know, big fan of your producer, Mike, and big fan of you, Jackson. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I appreciate that, Greg. We'll, we'll let you get back to taking over the world in a second. But before we do, <laughs> tell the people listening where they can find more of you. Yeah, around the NFL podcast. We're still doing like, what, four times a week? No more Monday night football recap soon. We got one more good one, though. Bills, Bengals on oh, Monday man. night. And then, yeah, Game Day View is a fun show. We do uh, doing all these picks on uh, Friday evenings on NFL Network. And I hear you're on Twitter. That's right. Check that out. Oh, yeah, you mentioned the Justin Nick and Roosevelt Vandy Project. That's my fun um yeah. weird comedy That's a really fun show. podcast yeah <laughs> yeah well there you go folks you've got your marching orders get more greg in your life know that you can find mike and i on social media as well i'm on twitter at, at jackson bevins that's j-a-c-s-o-n remember that no k is okay when spelling my name mike is at, at mike barwin and the show itself is at cigar thoughts you can also find us on instagram at, at cigar thoughts nfl and on facebook at seahawks cigar thoughts of course you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts and if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating, leave a quick review. Despite being on the air for just over a year, we've already got nearly 200 five-star ratings between the two platforms. That is not something Mike and I take for granted. So thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. Like I mentioned last week, it's been really cool seeing people share their Spotify rap on Twitter, the Cigar Thoughts podcast at or near the top. We know you've only got so much time for audiobooks, music, podcasts. It's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.